Speaking of volunteers, can we give Nathaniel a shout out? He's on sound, PowerPoint and lights today, all in one hit. So give him a massive wave back there. He's currently trying to find out which is my microphone because I have the loudest voice in the history of the universe. So everyone has to turn me down. So if you are, everyone's sound. Eh? Oh, that's probably a bit better. So thank you, Nathaniel. Um, anyway, how are we going? Good? So I was a bit sick last week. If I seemed to be out of it, it was because I was sick. If I'm normally out of it, I have no excuse for that. But last week I did have an excuse, so it was good. Hey, um, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. Um, I don't know why, but I feel like it's my need to share them with you. But um, years ago, a mate of mine decided to build um, some furniture that he bought from Ikea. Has anyone gone to Ikea? I hate Ikea. Number one, I mean, if you work for Ikea, God loves you and that's nice, right? But seriously, they trap you. The entire design of the, do you realise this, right? It's not, it's not like free. It is like a trap. You walk in, you cannot get out easily. Even when you ask them for help, they can't get you out. But one day, um, several years ago, a friend of mine decided to, um, he was trying to put something together for Ikea. And for some crazy reason, he said, would you mind coming over to help? I'm like, I failed industrial tech at school. I actually, it's the only subject I failed. But I come over. Anyway, we're trying to get this metal ring to go around this other thing, which is a door handle. It's hard to... I don't even know how to explain it. It was very confusing. Anyway, it wouldn't fit. But I studied physics. Failed industrial tech in study physics. I said to him, it's okay. I know why the ring won't go around. We have to expand the ring. And I know if you heat metal up, it will expand. I've got some physics knowledge. We can use it here in this situation because, of course, that's what everyone does when they have to build IKEA furniture, right? So I grab some tongs out of the kitchen. We grab the metal ring. We hold it over the hot plate to try to heat it up and then have to... And as you can imagine, it was a complete disaster. Eventually, he rang his girlfriend. She came and did it, and we were very much put to shame. So I've done lots of dumb things. One of the dumbest things I did, I was involved in starting a leadership conference for young adults in the city um, several years ago. And whenever you start something, some of you have been involved in starting things up. Um, I know Vern and Tricia here today, they were involved in starting up the church here. It's pretty much when you start things, you have to do a lot of stuff yourself at the beginning that you're not very good at. So because we're running the conference... They said, listen, we're going to need drinks for everyone. So I went and bought, on the day of the conference, a massive trolley load of drinks. We had about 200 people coming to this conference. So I don't know how many boxes of, like, you know, cans of 30 of Coke I had in this trolley, but it was massive. It was way above the level, the safe level. Anyway, for some reason, I don't know why, but um, this was at Toomble Shopping Centre. If you've ever been there... Um, don't go. You don't need to go there. It's not a big deal. So, but I went there and I was parked on level two, but I bought the stuff on level one. Now, what would any normal person do? They'd find an elevator. No. I see the escalator and think, I've got this massive trolley and it's not one of those escalators with the ramp. It's an escalator with a step. You know the steps? And I think, I can do this. Why could I not do that? This must be what everyone does when they have to get their trolley up to level two. So I literally grab the trolley and we're going up. I'm holding the trolley level like this, right, above my head. Anyone behind me must be thinking there is a death about to happen. We're going, it was just so stupid and dangerous. People are watching this thing go up and then we get to the top and you know there's like a little bit of a bump? It's not been designed for trolleys to roll over smoothly. So it doesn't roll over smoothly and then it begins to get stuck and then all of a sudden somehow I'm stuck. But anyway, it was a complete disaster. The entire thing, I almost got my foot chopped off. It was actually very dangerous. I'm a stupid person. Do not hang out with me, right? 
But I've learnt, what should I have done instead of going on the escalator? I should have gone on the elevator. There is a difference between escalator and elevator, right? There are lots of differences between escalators and elevators. One is obviously the escalators are designed for people to go up, the ones with steps, and elevators are designed to be able to carry things like trolleys up there as well. So, but there is another big difference between an escalator and elevator. An escalator, you simply get on and it is automatic. But in an elevator, when you get on, what do you have to do? Push the button. My friend was telling me a story this week about um, a lady at their church. They've just built a new elevator at their church. And she doesn't know you've got to push the button. She got into the elevator and then someone came back 10 minutes later and she was still waiting for it to move. No one has ever taught her you've got to push the button. But in an elevator, we have to push the button. And what we want to do today, we're talking about prayer. We're in this three-week series on prayer. I want to ask a very simple question. This is so profound. Are you ready? When it comes to prayer, is God more like an escalator where things happen automatically or is God more like an elevator where God will only move if you push the button? Now, this is actually a big question. I mean, we, there was, I can't remember the line, but there, there was a, a line in one of the songs we just said that God will be our strength when we're on our knees. But is he our strength when we're not on our knees praying? In other words, is God moving and working powerfully in and through us or on our behalf and around us, even when we're not praying, or does he only move and act when we pray? This is a huge question, right? Okay, well, let's have a look. Firstly, I want to argue that God works like an escalator. He works on automatic. Matthew 5.45 says this, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In some ways, in many ways, God is acting on automatic. Even people who don't believe in God, God is causing the sun to rise on them. Even people who don't even necessarily like the idea of religion, God works on their behalf. And perhaps there is no better example then the very fact that while we were still sinners, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to the Church of Rome and he says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't because people were on their knees praying. It wasn't because before the beginning of time, people somehow got together with God and said, you're going to need to send a saviour. We weren't even created yet. The reality is, God works on automatic. There are some things that God does without our prayer, almost in spite of us. He does things on automatic all the time. But, and here's the controversial thing. I want to argue today that sometimes God works like an elevator. And that is only when we push the button, only when we pray, that some things will happen. Now, if you've kind of been around church for a little bit, this is confusing. Let me see if I explain. Um, James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote um, a letter. He wrote in his letter this, you do not have because you do not ask God. What he's saying is, and it's very clear, there are some things that I don't have in my life that if I simply ask God in this moment, he may give them to me. 
There are some things that you don't have that we don't have as a church because we've never asked God for those things. So whilst, yes, it's true that some things God does on automatic, there seems to be another category of things that God only does when we pray. Well, let me look at what Jesus said. The the disciples who followed Jesus, these were the, the people who hung out with Jesus all the time. They said to Jesus, hey, listen, could you tell us how to pray? Teach us how to pray. We want to know more about prayer. And if you've ever heard of the Lord's Prayer, many of us have, even if you're not a church person, you may have heard of this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he goes on. And straight after Jesus gives us this pattern, he says, okay, let me tell you a story. Suppose, this is Luke 11, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship... Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, this is confusing. Because here we have a picture of a guy who needs bread in the middle of the night. He goes to his friend and says, can you please give me some bread? And the friend says, no. Why? Because you'll have to wake up my whole family. Then Jesus says this crazy thing. He will not get up because of your friendship. We think, I think, especially I, I have to, I have to constantly confront myself with this all the time. I often walk around thinking, God is going to do everything on automatic for me because I have a relationship, a friendship with him. But that is not what Jesus is teaching. He is saying, yes, there are some things that happen because of our relationship with him. Of course, there's lots of things that he does on automatic. But in this case, he will not get up because of your friendship, but will only get up because of your shameless audacity where you keep asking, keep knocking, and keep seeking. Some things only happen because we pray. He then goes on, Jesus goes on and he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be open. He doesn't say, God works on automatic, just wait patiently. He doesn't say, because God is sovereign, just sit there and do nothing. He doesn't say, trust that God already knows what you need so you don't need to ask. Isn't that how we think? What's he say? He says, ask and we will receive. Seek and we will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If we do not have, it's because we have not asked. Now, what I think, and I I get it. By the way, this is messing with you. I get this. So we're just unpacking a very complex topic. The reason we're looking at this today, by the way, is not to be controversial. It's because we want God to work powerfully in us and through us and around us and on behalf of those we love and care about. Would we agree? And the more we can see God work, the better the world will be. So we need to know, is there a link between prayer and God at work? And if there is, we need to understand what that link is. So it seems to me, and maybe you disagree, that God sometimes waits until we pray. C.S. Lewis 
struggled with this question. He wrote an excellent book, by the way. Most people have not heard of it, called Letters to Malcolm. C.S. Lewis is the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's a children's book. If you're not really a church person, but you like thinking and reading hard words, read C.S. Lewis. I find him hard to read. I'm not good at English. He is an unbelievable thinker. And he wrestled with prayer, and he wrote a book called Letters to Malcolm, chiefly about prayer. And um, he said this, The case against prayer is this. The thing you ask for is either good or else it is not. If it is good, then a good and wise God will do it anyway. Wouldn't we agree with that? That makes sense. And if it's not good, then he won't do it. In neither case can your prayer make any difference. That is the argument. But he goes on to say, but if this argument is sound, surely it is an argument not only against praying, but against doing anything whatever. Why wash your hands? If God intends them to be clean, they'll come clean without you washing them. If he doesn't, they'll remain dirty, however much soap you use. Why ask for the salt? Why put on your boots? Why do anything? And he goes on to say, it may be a mystery why he should have allowed us to cause real events at all, but it is no order that he should allow us to cause them by praying than by any other method." Now, in, in, um, if, if you're kind of new to Christianity, one of the things you've probably noticed is that there's different types of churches. So sometimes you go to a church that's very, very um, serious and kind of what they call liturgical, lots of formal processes. I had a, we were running a church in the city in a very informal setting in a university lecture theatre, and an atheist um, friend of mine started emailing me back and forth asking questions, and eventually he decided to come to church, and he's a complete atheist, and he came to church and he said to me at the end of the service, God is not here. And I said, I know you believe God is not here, you don't believe God is anywhere. And he said, no, God is not here, this is dishonouring to God. And I was trying to work out why. I'm like, you're an atheist. You don't even believe there is a God to dishonor. And he said that he grew up in France in a very traditional liturgical setting, going to church. And he felt like what we were doing was not serious enough. So God couldn't be here. It was such an interesting conversation. But as you kind of explore Christianity, you'll notice that there's different kind of ways in which Christians worship or practice their beliefs. And that's fine. Within Christianity, there's kind of this big... um, divide over, not, not a divide, I shouldn't say divide, that's way too big a thing, but there's a big discussion that happens about what the Bible describes as free will. How free are we to make decisions and to determine our own future and determine what happens in this world versus kind of God's will or God's sovereignty or God's decisions and, and how much does God control things. And I'm not going to get into that today, but this is the interesting thing. Most of the leaders that people follow who believe very, very strongly in God's sovereignty, and I very much believe in this too, they believe that prayer changes things. One of the leading people in this area is a guy called Andrew Murray. He says this, God does indeed allow himself to be decided by prayer to do what he otherwise would not have done. Now, is he saying that of everything? I don't think so. I think he's saying that of some things. John Piper, another leader in this whole idea, he says this, it's simply staggering that the sovereign ruler of the universe would ordain that prayers cause things. They do. Prayers cause things to happen that would not happen if you didn't pray. Now, 
if we can get past the confusion, I think this is incredibly exciting. Because it means that there is a, a set of things that God is willing to do right now. If we just prayed, he would do them. But the question I want to ask today is not, does God sometimes ask and wait until we pray? But if he does wait until we pray, why does he wait until we pray? Um, let's see if we can do a bit of an activity. Who here has children? You'll be good at playing this game. I don't have children, so we're going to do an activity. Suppose you have a 10-year-old son. Which of the following would you do for them automatically? Which would you, wait, uh, which would you have to wait until they ask? So a 10-year-old son, there's a whole heap of things that you might want to do for this 10-year-old son. Some things you're going to do automatically without them asking, and some things you're going to wait until they pray. So how are we going to do this? I, I didn't really think this through. Okay, if you, if you are going to uh, do it automatically, I just want you to put your hand up. Are you ready? So we're going to vote on this. Are you excited? This is like interactive church people. Get excited. Are you you're pumped? Okay, make the breakfast. Who's going to do that automatically? Okay, who's going to wait till they ask? Oh, okay. Righto. Righto, next one. Take them to the beach. Who's going to do that automatically? Who's going to wait till they ask? Who's not going to take them at all? Oh, you mean parents. Okay. Sign them up for piano lessons automatically. Wait till they ask. Wait till they beg. Okay. Righto. Choose which clothes they buy. Automatic. Wait. Okay. Pick their birthday present. Automatic. Wait. Okay. Drive them to school. Who's... (laughs) Is anyone going to wait till they ask? I feel like that's not going to go very well for your child. Do their washing. Uh, Some of you are saying you're not doing washing at all. What about this one? Buy them a drum kit. Who's doing that automatically? Who's never, ever doing that in the history of the universe, right? Now, it makes sense that sometimes parents will wait until their children ask for something for a lot of reasons. But one is this. You just don't know. You think, you know, this is the game they want for their birthday and then a new game came out. You think this is the latest fashion and all of a sudden Taylor Swift wore something else and you've got to figure out what you're allowed to let your kids wear or not wear. Who knows what it is? Some things you just don't know. You think you know your children. We think we know someone and we have a bit of an idea, but we don't always know. So sometimes we have to wait until we ask. So it makes sense for parents. It doesn't really make sense for God though, does it? Because God already knows what we need. God already knows what our hopes and our dreams and our fears and our worries are. He knows everything about us, every thought that we ever have. God knows everything. So if God knows everything, it's not like any other parent where he has to sometimes wait and find out. He already knows what we need. Why does God sometimes wait until we ask? If you have a Bible there, what I want to do today is look at a passage that's recorded in John. John is a book of the Bible. It's actually one of the four biographies of Jesus. If you're not a Christian and you're in the process of exploring Christianity, there are four biographies of Jesus. They are a good place to start. The Bible's made up. It's a collection of books. It's made up of lots and lots and lots of different books. And it can be overwhelming to know where to start. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four biographies of Jesus. This is from the gospel. They call it the biography of Jesus written by John. Chapter 11, verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, here we have a couple of sisters, Mary and Martha, and they, they, they are saying to Jesus that the one you love is sick. Right? They're talking about Lazarus. Jesus, you love Lazarus. You know him. You love him. You care for him. We've seen how much you, you, you long to be um, with him. They run to Jesus. They're like, Jesus, please come now. Lazarus is sick. We've seen you do so many miracles, Jesus. We've seen you walk on water. We've seen you feed the 5,000. We've seen you heal so many sick people. You heal the people who you don't even know. You heal strangers. So surely, Jesus, you're going to come because you know Lazarus. You have a relationship with Lazarus. So Jesus, please come now and heal Lazarus. And then Jesus says, no, it is for God's glory so that the Son may be glorified through him, uh, through it. That is weird. Like, can you imagine actually having that conversation with someone? People desperate. Our brother is sick. He's about to die. Please, Jesus, come now. No, 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 no. It's for God's glory. And you're like, what the heck is going on? We read on. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, uh, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, I'm trying to figure out this whole Christian thing, this is not helping, you are, I get that. Okay, where am I? I'm here. Where's Lazarus? Lazarus is over there. I've just heard that Lazarus is sick. What should I do? I have the power over all things. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I have power over sickness. What should I do? Jesus says, because I heard Lazarus is sick, I am going to stay. And you're like, sometimes this is just so confusing. What is Jesus doing? He goes on. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So eventually Jesus comes. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. And you're like, what the heck is going on? Jesus said, it will not end in death. He says, I'm not going to go back and heal him. It's all fine. It's for God's glory. Why are you not going? Because Lazarus is sick. The very reason I'm not going is because Lazarus is sick. I'm deliberately staying away because Lazarus is sick. He then eventually goes, Lazarus is dead. Why is Lazarus dead? Well, I'm glad I wasn't here so that you may believe. And you're like... Okay, this is actually just so ridiculous now. I don't even know if I can even begin to comprehend this. What on earth is Jesus doing? Let's consider this. If Jesus worked on automatic and he prevented Lazarus getting sick in the first place, would anyone have known that Jesus prevented Lazarus getting sick? Would anyone have said, look how powerful Jesus is. Look how kind and loving Jesus is. He prevented Lazarus getting sick in the first place. No, they would never have known. If that he had responded to the request to come when Lazarus was sick and he went and healed Lazarus, would people have believed because they saw a miracle where Jesus performed a miracle and someone who was very sick is now, is now well? Yes, some people would have believed. Would you agree? We see this happen 
all around the world. One of the reasons people come to faith is they see God work supernaturally. It is a precursor for some people to believing and trusting in Jesus. But if Jesus waits until Lazarus dies, then comes, and then as we read on, he raises Lazarus from the dead, will many people believe? Yes. So what Jesus is saying is this. It is good that I was not here so that many people would see the resurrection I am about to perform and many, many, many people will believe. Now this might sound crazy, but this is what we know. God doesn't want to just meet our needs. He wants to build our faith. If God just wanted to meet our needs, Jesus could have said, I am going to work on automatic and I am going to do this before anyone even knows that he's going to get sick. I'm going to prevent it. If God wanted to build a bit of faith, he would have gone when Lazarus was sick and there would have been some level of strengthening or increase of faith. But because he waited, God saw Jesus do a resurrection and there was much faith and much increase in faith. God doesn't just want to meet our needs. He wants to build our faith. And this is why I believe God often waits until we pray. If God worked on automatic... And God, by the way, let's just be clear, God is doing, I think predominantly most things in this world, God is doing automatically. Most things. If God only worked on automatic though, we would not know when good things happen if it's God, if it's circumstance, if it's our hard work, if it's luck, if it's the goodwill of others. If God did everything on automatic, we wouldn't know. But if he waits until we pray we're much more likely to attribute that work, that miracle, that good thing that we receive to God and give Him gratitude for that and increase our faith. If God only cared about meeting our needs, He would just work on automatic. But because He also cares about building our faith, He sometimes waits until we pray. Let me see if I explain. Um, who here has ever bought a girl flowers at some stage in their life? Okay, there's a few shy hands going up. Gav, look at you. I reckon, I, I, do you get like flowers every day? Here's just a love cat. Look at this guy. I feel like you are a very romantic man. I look at you. You could just come up for the rest of the time and just share stories. Now, Gav, I know you're not a shy guy, so have you ever given a girl flowers? Maybe not Mel, but this could be a bit awkward. Have you ever sent a girl flowers anonymously? Yes. Okay. What was the strategy behind the anonymous sending? By the way, this is not set up. This could go anywhere. See how it went. (laughs) Try my luck. Okay. Now, here's the problem. What's the problem with the anonymous send? It's anonymous, right? The person, let's say Mel, <laughs> I don't know, that might make it easier. The person who receives the flowers, right, they might feel special. Oh, someone's bought me flowers, but they don't know who to attribute it to. Is this making sense? And if God works on automatic, it's like he's sending us flowers after flowers after flowers, but never writing his name on it. 
But if he waits until we pray, we know this was God, not just luck, not just circumstance, not just hard work, not just the goodwill of other people, not just whatever it was. This literally was God of the universe breaking into history, exerting his authority over sickness, over death, over circumstances, over the hearts and minds and wills of men and women and breaking in and doing his will on earth as it is in heaven. That is why God prays. God is not just interested in building and meeting our needs. He wants to build our faith. He is a good God and a kind God. And he's not up there saying, I'm not going to answer them. I'm not going to do things for them till they ask, as if this is some kind of mean thing that he's doing. He's saying, if I wait until they ask, they will know that it's me and they will know that I am for them and not against them. They will know that I am a caring, loving God who is attentive to their needs and hears their cries for help. Martin Luther, the the man who started the Reformation, he said this, Why then does God let us pray and present our need and he does not give it to us unasked, since he knows and sees all our need better than we do? He gives surely to the whole world daily so much good freely as the sun, rain, corn, money, blood, life, etc. In other words, what Martin Luther is saying is God is working so much on automatic There's so many things he's doing automatically for all people, which no one asks for and and is grateful for, as he knows that they cannot get along for a single day without light, eating and drinking. Why does he then tell us to pray for these things? In other words, what Martin Luther is saying is, listen, if God's doing so much for the world, for people who don't even believe in him, why would he wait until we pray for those who have a relationship with him? And he goes on to say, Answer, he does not require it as if God can't act until we pray. That's ridiculous. But in order that we may acknowledge and confess what kind of blessings he is bestowing upon us, and yet much more he can and will give, so that we by our praying are rather instructing ourselves than him. For therefore I am turned about that I do not go along like the ungodly that never acknowledge this, Or offer thanks for it. And my heart is thus turned to him and aroused so that I praise and thank him. And have the recourse to him in time of need and look for help from him. And the effect of all this is that I may learn more and more to acknowledge what kind of God he is. And because I address my supplications to him, he is more disposed to answer me abundantly. God does not want to just meet our needs. He wants to also build our faith. And if he waits until we pray, he doesn't just meet our needs. He also builds our faith. So what does this mean? I think, and this might be crazy and you may disagree, but I, I, I had to confront a whole heap of, I think, wrong beliefs I had in my head about five years ago. I started studying prayer. I started studying everything I could, what the Bible said, what all the, the great theologians said about prayer. And I realised, I even though I didn't grow up in church, I grew up with a default position where I was a fatalist. I believed that everything was already decided, that our prayers had no bearing on any outcome whatsoever and I was only really praying because it would somehow transform my heart it wouldn't actually do anything but I believe and I believe this so strongly there is a God on the other side of our prayers who loves us and cares for us and because he is loving and kind he doesn't just work on automatic he sometimes waits until we pray so what that means is this I think there are a list of things right now that if we simply just said to God God You're loving and kind. I know you care for me. I know you care for my family. I know you care for those that are far from you. 
I know you care for everyone. And God, I want good things for me and for my family and for those I care about and for those in the world. I want good things for all people. So God, would you exert your authority over sickness? Would you exert your authority over death? Would you exert your authority over evil? Would you exert your authority over even the hearts and minds and wills of men and women where you see conflict happening? God, work in their heart. I believe God is all-powerful and all-sovereign and has authority over all things. But he sometimes waits until we pray. Um, there is another way that Jesus wants to be at our faith, and it has nothing to do with prayer. And in fact, this is actually one of the core practices of our church, and it's a core practice of churches all over the world. Some people call it the Eucharist, some people call it the Lord's Supper, some people call it communion. But on the night Jesus was betrayed, he looked at his followers and said, this cup that I'm about to drink, and he had a cup in his hand, but he was speaking about the, the sacrifice, the cup of blood that was about to be shed with his death on the cross. This is the cup of the new covenant. And this body, this bread, represents the body, my body, that is about to be broken. And all this is happening for the forgiveness of sins. And he said to his followers, hey, listen, every time you get together, as much as you possibly can, why would you want to stray from this? Why would you not want to remember the greatest thing in history? This is the time where we remember what Jesus has done. And we don't do it because it's a religious ritual. We don't do it because... Um, you know, it's some just, oh, well, we're just obeying God. Of course we want to obey God, but it's not just a step of obedience. God gives us things for our good, and our good is that our faith would be increased. And the reason, one of the main reasons we gather is to remind each other God loves us, He cares for us, and Jesus died for sinners. And today, as we take communion, we are remembering we are the sinner whom Jesus died for. We are the one who Jesus paid for their sin in full. And that's what we celebrate today. So I'm going to pray in a second. And um, just straight after I pray, there is some communion. There's bread and, and the wine up the front. We just invite those of us who believe this, those of us who trust in Jesus, this is our opportunity to celebrate what he's done in our life. Let's pray. So Father, thank you so much um, that you are kind Yes, you're all-powerful, God. Yes, you have authority over all things. And yes, you can speak a word and create the universe, speak a word, raise the dead, speak a word and heal the sick. But it's not enough for you to be powerful, God. You are kind and you are loving. And Father, we just thank you that you are listening to us now. These words that I say are not just bouncing off the walls. We believe that you are loving and you are hearing them as we speak. So Father, we confess our sins. We confess our brokenness. We confess the sins we don't even know that we commit. We thank you, Jesus, that you paid for our sin in full, that we could live lives free of condemnation, free of guilt and free of shame in eternal relationship with you, Jesus. Amen.